So that's where we're going to go tonight. So I'm going to be in, um, in Ezekiel 38, um, Isaiah 17. Um, we're going to be in Amos. I'm going to kind of be going around. If you need a Bible, Pastor John has some Bibles. And uh, so I'll try to put this together. I put this together in just a couple hours uh, this morning, just feeling like the Lord was, as I was getting ready for Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, I kept thinking, well, maybe we can do some of chapter 3, but... But I feel like the Lord would have us at least spend some time praying as well because we need to be praying for our nation, for our troops uh, for this year. And we need to spend some time in doing that. We need to be praying for the church. And I think it's a good time and an appropriate time to do that as we start the year. But I do want to uh, give you a couple quick announcements uh, as we get ready for our study here tonight. A lot of things that are taking place as we get into January. So I want to remind the ladies that you do have lady study starting next week on Thursday. It's the 16th, the morning study, and then the evening study, Ecclesiastes. Uh, Jenny Harding is leading that one. And then the evening study is the God of Covenant. So those books are available in the bookstore. 9.30 is the morning study. Um, and uh, there is child care for that. And then the evening study starts at 7 o'clock. And so uh, if you can get signed up so we can know how many uh, ladies to get set up for on those studies starting next week. And uh, so it's not too late to do that. Uh, get signed up and go in the bookstore and, and grab one of those books. The morning study, again, Wisdom for Living Well, Ecclesiastes, and then the God of Covenant in the evening. Men's breakfast, guys, on the 18th on Saturday. So sign up at the information desk. It's free. Love to have you come out and uh, have breakfast together as uh, we start the year. And, and um, we'd love to see you come out as we fellowship with one another. So 8.30 on the 18th, Saturday of January. And then that evening is Koinia Fellowship, hosted by Jim and Ron. It's good to have them back. Uh, they were out of town for the holiday season with their kids in Florida. And so they're going to be back having the Koinia Fellowship, 6, 8 o'clock on the 18th. They have a sign-up out there, so if you can sign up so they can kind of get prepared for that. It's a potluck dinner. And, uh, and uh, if you can contact Rhonda, uh, their number is there and what dish you're going to bring. So read that, and uh, you're going to have a, a very blessed time. Uh, opportunity for you to get to know some new people in, in a smaller setting. Uh, we do have Grief Share starting this Saturday, uh, and Grief Share begins at 9 o'clock here at the church. Middle schoolers are reminding them, uh, meeting on Saturday in the evening as well. So lots going on. Men's Bible study, guys, starting on Tuesday as Pastor John's taking you through the book of Joshua. And that's at 7 o'clock. Just bring your Bibles uh, to uh, the coffee shop and uh, the men's Bible study on Tuesday evenings. Also, Young Adults Wildfire is starting up on Friday evenings. Josiah. 7 o'clock on the... 24th, okay? So I um, want to pass that information on to you as well. So lots going on, a lot of opportunity for you to come and just continue to grow in the Word of God and, and be in fellowship and uh, be blessed in every way here at Calvary Chapel. And I hope that you take, um, take the opportunity to do that in, in this new year that we are in. Father, I do pray that as we go over some of these things um, tonight, there's so much going on in the world, and I know it causes um, maybe some people to question or um, concerned or um, whatever the case may be. 
And Father, I do pray as we talk about these things that uh, we would know that your word is true. You're the one that declared the end from the beginning. And you have given us in your word uh, those events that point to, that surround, that are related to your soon return. And that includes what we're even seeing today. It's all leading to something. It's all leading to uh, your return. Um, it's leading to the church uh, being taken home. Uh, it is leading to those things that we talked about in detail on Wednesday nights, um, going through the book of Revelation. So I pray that as we are wise in the scriptures, that we are ones that we continue to be able to minister to others. And uh, we want to be able to give them the hope of the gospel. We have a glorious future. And so we can be thankful and comforted. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to be anxious. But Lord, keep looking up. Because Jesus said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. So that's why we're here. We, we want to be updated. We want to review these things. We want to look at these things so that we can have a proper biblical perspective. And so, Lord, touch our hearts, stir our hearts here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week as we did the prophecy update, I did the message, the church, discerning the times or ignoring the times. And, and uh, so many people came out. It was such a blessing to be a part of that. I think that in the prophecy updates on New Year's Eve, we got to start thinking about doing two services um, because we just couldn't get any more people in. But I really believe that people are hungry. I, I think they're really desiring to know where things are headed. And unfortunately, in many churches, they're not being taught that. If they are being taught about end-time prophecy, in a lot of ways, they're being taught it in the wrong way. It's not the biblical uh, you know, perspective that is given to us. So you have a lot of things out there that are growing in the church. You have replacement theology that the church is Israel, that Israel doesn't play a role in, in the end times. Uh, there is those who uh, take more of an amillennialist type of view that there is no millennium reign of Jesus Christ. The preterist view that all those events of the book of Revelation took place and were fulfilled up to 70 AD when Titus and the Roman legions came in and destroyed Jerusalem. You have the kingdom now theology that is growing tremendously in the church and very popular among some circles of the church. That what's going to happen is we're in this new era, this new apostolic movement that is very popular. And that is that there's going to be the prophets and there's going to be the apostles that are going to be anointed to work miracles. And they have great authority. And what's going to take place in the days ahead is that the church is going to be working miracles and mass healings to where the church is going to grow and grow and grow. And then we're going to usher in the second kingdom. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Matter of fact, if you were here on Sunday, that we saw that even Sunday's message is very much related to what we're talking about tonight, what we talked about last week, that in the last days, it's going to be perilous times. 
Paul didn't say, I hope it isn't, or it could be. He said, it will be. It's going to be perilous times. And, and of course, we talked about how that word perilous is used in one other time in the New Testament. And that is from Matthew as he describes the demoniacs that Jesus and the disciples, when they went over to the area of the Gadarenes, that, that they were exceedingly fierce. That's our word that Paul uses to describe the characteristic and the conduct of men in the last days. And we looked at that. And he said that, that what's going to happen is there's going to be those who have a form of godliness but denying its power and always learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And I believe we are seeing that even today. Keep in mind that as Paul's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, that is his last will and testament to Timothy. It's the last words that he is giving to the church. And as we look at it, we know that these things are very, very important to Paul the Apostle. Timothy, know this. Understand this. This is important for you to get down. And there's going to be those who are counterfeit and those who are going to be working in ways that, that um, are deceptive. And he, he goes on to say, but their end will come. And then as we're going to see this Sunday, he's going to tell us what it is that we need to be doing in the days and we are living in. And it's, it's a message that has touched my heart. The next few weeks in 2 Timothy is really dealing with, with, you know, things that touch my heart in a deep way that I hope and pray. And I pray the Holy Spirit really touches your heart with it. And the Word of God does. What we must do, Timothy, Timothy, you must continue in the Scriptures that you've learned from childhood. Timothy, you followed my doctrine and my manner of life and my purpose. And Timothy, know this, that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution and know that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. And he talks about the inspiration of, of God's word, the benefit of it. And in chapter four, he says that the time's going to come when they're going to depart from truth. And give themselves over to doctrines of demons, to fables, and have itchy ears and heap up teachers for themselves. So all these things are important for us to understand and what it is that we do with it. And we must continue in the scriptures. And I got a message that I really want to share particularly with the young people. So I'm looking forward to that. But here tonight, as I prayed, I felt like the Lord really stirred my heart because last night we didn't know if we were going to be in a major war with Iran, with the events that were taking place. When we heard about how those missiles from Iran came over into those air bases in Iraq that housed the American military, uh, we thought that that was it, that they had declared war and they had crossed the red line. And of course, that follows what took place right after New Year's, as we saw last weekend, the killing of the uh, general from Iran, Soleimani. And... You know, there's a lot of debate about, did President Trump have the authority to do that? Should we not have done that? Listen, Soleimani, as we know, he was a bad guy. And he is the one that if you, particularly if you listen to those in the Middle East and those in Israel, they will tell you that he was probably the second most powerful man in Iran. He wasn't the highest rank in general in Iran, but he was the most powerful. 
He only answered to the mullahs, to the ayatollahs. And he was free to do whatever he is that he did. And he's responsible for the deaths of many American, our troops in America, as he sponsored and backed up and provided weapons for the militia, the Iranian-backed militia that attacked our embassy last week. And those who have used those weapons to, to bring death to our American troops and also have uh, injured them. He is one that before he went into Baghdad, he was meeting with the head of Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a known terrorist group that is looking to destroy Israel. They have tens of thousands of weapons in southern Lebanon pointed at Israeli cities right now. This was not a nice guy. And he was one that is responsible for the death of many in the West, in the American troops. And he's the one behind the attack, they tell you, the analysis, there's no question about it, of the attack on the embassy. So here was the response to that, as we know that uh, Iran vowed revenge. They sent 16 missiles, now they're saying now, over to those targets where the Americans were, were housed. And, and we are very thankful that none of them were hurt or there was no casualties, there was some damage. But last night, there's reports coming out of the Middle East that F-35s were on their way to Iran. So there was a lot of voices. There was a lot of things going on. And, of course, this morning is President Trump. Whether you like President Trump or not, the thing is, is he restrained himself from a, from a massive response because they declared war in doing that. And, and he said that they seem to be standing down and um, everything seems to be kind of calmed down a little bit. But just a few hours ago, there was a couple of missiles that landed in the green zone again in Baghdad. We don't know where the source of that is. So as we hear everything, we hear the politicians arguing and fighting and divisive and all of this, and we're in an election year. Listen, if we don't understand what the scriptures have to say, we are going to go crazy with all the voices that are out there. And that's why I want to, to remind you once again, as we hear the news, as we listen to the debates and all the commentaries, what does the Bible have to say? What is our biblical worldview on this? And you see a lot of Christians are not getting it. So we want to look at it so you can minister to others in a biblical way to tell them what God has to say about what is going to take place in the Middle East, the things that are ahead for us, and that we can minister to them, you know, the word of God. We must continue in the scriptures. So as even as, remember Daniel? It reminds me of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5, there's King you know, Belshazzar. He's having a party with his thousand lords and, and leaders, and, and they're toasting to the gods of Babylon, and uh, they are using the vessels that came out of the temple when you know, they went into captivity. We'll talk about that specifically as we continue through the book of Jeremiah. But as they brought those vessels out, uh, they, uh, those vessels, those utensils, those cups that were sanctified for the use of the Lord in the first temple that they were brought back to Babylon. So they're toasting with them to the God of Babylon. And all of a sudden there's a finger on the wall, remember, that wrote many, many tekel you farces. 
in Belshazzar was terrified. The people were terrified. He called for his astrologers, his soothsayers, the magicians. He called them out and said, what does that mean? What does it say? And they couldn't interpret the handwriting on the wall. And, of course, it was the finger of God that wrote it. And so the queen mother comes out and says, bring out Daniel. He came with the captives of Judah, and he was able to interpret dreams. And he did it to your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel comes out, and he gives Belshazzar a lecture. He said, you knew, you knew your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, came to know the true and the living God. And I did interpret dreams, and I'll interpret this for you. Belshazzar, many, many tuckle your farces. You've been weighed and found wanting uh, in the balances. And now the Medes and the Persians are going to come in. And your kingdom is going to come to an end. And Belshazzar, you're a dead man. And that night, Cyrus, and what is interesting, remember when we went through the book of Isaiah, that I think one of the most amazing prophecies that we have in the Old Testament, written 200 years before it happened in Isaiah 43 and 44, Cyrus was named by Isaiah 200 years before he was born to be an instrument for the Lord that is going to come into the city of Babylon. Even tells how it's going to happen and gives details. And he would give the decree that the Jews would go back and rebuild Jerusalem. All prophesied in detail. We went over that uh, in the book of Isaiah. And 200 years before it happened, well, Cyrus, what he did is he diverted the flow of the Euphrates River, and they walked under the walls because that's where the Euphrates would flow. And they walked under, and they took the city of Babylon. Exactly as Daniel said, the city would fall that night. And he interpreted the handwriting. You know, it's interesting. From the time of, of Daniel 4 to Daniel 5, at the death of Nebuchadnezzar, as he gives his testimony there, to the time that he comes out to interpret the handwriting, there's a time of about 20 years. We don't know what Daniel was doing during that time. But it was many years. He was probably teaching in the school of prophecy. He was there somewhere in the kingdom. But all of a sudden, he comes out and he interprets the handwriting on the wall. And the ones who are going to be able to minister to people who are saying, what's the handwriting on the wall? What's going on here? Why is the world falling apart? Why are these things happening? And maybe they've been ignoring you. For 20 weeks or 20 months or maybe even 20 years. But they know that you're one that studies the scriptures. You know the Bible. And the ones that God is going to use in the day in which we're living in are the ones that are versed in the scripture that can give them answers. And not just about the end of the world, but to give them a message of hope. If they don't hear it from us, where are they going to hear it from? They're going to hear it from the voices of the world. So we're able to say, this is what the Bible has to say, and to bring them to the gospel that there is hope, and that as a Christian and the church, we have a glorious future. Amen? So a lot of Christians don't want to hear this because they get afraid, they get anxious. Listen, this isn't told to us so we can be anxious or be afraid. It's to prepare us and to bring comfort to us, that we know that everything is headed somewhere. So what is it that we're seeing today? You know, is there the number one thing that was Googled this last week was World War III. Do you know that? 
People are wondering again, whenever there's upheaval, Jesus said when it comes to the signs, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, that it's like birth pangs. And, and we see the upheaval in the Middle East. It's been there. Some people say, oh, you know, they're always fighting. There's always upheaval. But we know that the Bible talks very specifically about future events in the Middle East that surround Israel and also involves Iran. And when we see the upheavals, like a birth pang, you know, all of a sudden there's a contraction and then it, it settles down. And, and people today are saying, oh, whew, you know, things are good. Stock market's up. Everything's looking good, but don't go to sleep. Because there's some very difficult days ahead. What does the Bible have to say about Iran? Well, a lot of you, if you've been here, you know the Bible does not speak about a war between the United States and Iran. It doesn't mean that that can't happen. The Bible doesn't even talk about a war between Israel and Iran. That doesn't mean it can't happen. But the Bible does speak about a major battle that's going to take place in the latter days with Iran being with a coalition of nations that is led by Russia, Turkey, Iran, Libya, Sudan, that a massive army is going to build and come in from the north. Just last, you know, two months ago, we were in Israel standing on the Syrian border, looking into the Syrian towns and that valley where this battle very well could come from from the north into the mountains of Israel. And I want to review this because it's very important for us to understand because people are saying, is this Ezekiel 38? What we're seeing before us today is not Ezekiel 38, but the events could lead to very much the stage setting events to Ezekiel 38, which could be the next major war in the Middle East. And we're seeing those events happening more and more, these alliances. So let's take a look at it very quickly. Some other prophecies and, and um, try to kind of tie it all together. But in Ezekiel 38, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. That's a title in the land of Magog. And the prince of Rush, Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, listen, underline this, and put hooks into your jaws. And lead you out with all your armies, horses, uh, and great company with bucklers, great company with um, shields, all them handling swords. So the Lord's saying, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. It's interesting, when we were going through those historical books, when the ten northern tribes went off into captivity, uh, the house of Israel by the Assyrians, you know what they did? They put hooks in their mouths, fish hooks, and drug them off. It was brutal. And it's like the Lord is saying, I'm going to put hooks in your mouth, in your jaw. And I'm going to drag you down. I'm going to pull you down. Persia. What is Persia? That's Iran. Matter of fact, Iran was called Persia, I believe, till 1935. Then they changed their name to Iran. Ethiopia, Libya, speaking about Sudan. It was interesting that Sudan is now two countries. There's northern Sudan, which is uh, very heavily Muslim, um, and then southern Sudan, which is Christians. 
When I was in southern Sudan a couple times with West Bentley and far-reaching ministries that uh, training the chaplains, teaching them uh, of the southern Sudanese army, uh, giving them Bible study, those chaplains that were up on the front lines. When you talked about Ezekiel 38, they're going, wow, you know, Sudan's in Ezekiel 38. Yes, it is speaking of that. But it's interesting that you see this alliance here of Gog, uh, uh, a title, Magog, which is up north, which many place it as Russia. Uh, that group of people is around the Black Sea. Uh, you have uh, Turkey here, uh, the Prince of Rush, Meshach, Tubal uh, being Turkey. Uh, you can look at all these, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya. Libya, we know that Turkey and Libya are very much uh, making alliance together. Here is alliances that you have not seen come together in 2,600 years that have just come together in the last dozen years. And who do you have entrenched in Syria right now? I remember one time I showed you a picture of the leader of Iran, the leader of Russia, Putin, and the leader Erdogan of Turkey shaking hands making a treaty together, and they're continuing to do that. The alliances are all there, folks. Absolutely amazing. And they are entrenching themselves in Syria, their troops. Matter of fact, it was yesterday. Guess who was in Damascus? Putin was, meeting with Assad. When Soleimani, um, uh, the general from Iran, right before he was struck by that drone, he was in Beirut. They followed his travel. He would then go to Damascus. He met with the head of Hezbollah. It was Hezbollah's deputy uh, secretary that traveled with him to Baghdad, and then they were struck with that drone attack, and they were killed. So Hezbollah has determined that they are going to get at Western targets, and they are going to attack Israel. Again, they are a leading terrorist group, uh, recognized by the world that they are a leading terrorist group with tens of thousands of missiles that are pointed at Israel. And as Soleimani is one that helps supply some of those weapons, Hezbollah is nothing but an Iranian proxy funded by, by Iran. So what happened is, is you know, and it was touched on, and it's going to be debated on, but with the nuclear, you know, pact that came out and the, the uh, treaty that came out with the United States and the other nations, it didn't really stop Iran in enabling them or stopping them from developing nuclear weapons. It just delayed it a little bit. And then they were given $150 billion by the nations and the United States. And what do you think they did with that money? They bought missiles, and they are coming into Syria. And with ISIS being diminished in Syria, there's always a vacuum, and they are filling that vacuum, and Turkey and Russia as well. And they want nothing more to do than to destroy Israel. Now, here's the thing that you need to remember about Iran and, and the Shiite Muslims of Iran. They have a different mindset than the Western world. And that's what a lot of people do not understand. They have uh, a, you know, what's driving their foreign policy. Keep in mind that until 1979, they were secular and, and the Shah was overthrown, and then Ayatollah Khomeini came in, and they became a radical Islamic nation. 
And they have what is called the caliphate. Have you heard that term? The caliphate, what they follow is they believe, they really believe this, and this is what's driving their foreign policy, is that the 12th Iman is going to come, the Islamic Messiah, and he's going to come, and he's going to destroy anyone who does not align up with their, you know, Sunni doctrine, Islamic beliefs, and will destroy them. And then the caliphate is an Islamic kingdom that will be established all over the world. Now, here's the thing that happened. When ISIS began to, to move across Iraq and into Syria, they had a, a caliphate kind of agenda as well. It was different. What they believed is that they would take over what was called the Levant, L-E-V-A-N-T. And that was an area of the Middle East, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. And anyone who refused to convert to their brand of Islam, they would kill. They were killing the Christians. They were beheading them. Anyone who did not align with their brand of Islamic belief, they were brutal. And they believed that they're going to take over this area. And then there's going to be this apocalyptic kind of uh, you know, uh, battle that's going to take place with them in the, what they call the Roman powers. It's speaking of the Western nations, Israel, Iran, you know, um, the United States, Western Europe. And it's all going to happen in this area that's in northern Syria. And, and this city, this little city of 3,000 people, a little village of Dabig, they believe that's where it's going to take place. And the Islamic, you know, Mahdi, the 12th Iman is going to show up and destroy the Western powers, destroy the United States, destroy Israel. And then he will then usher in the caliphate in Islamic world. They really believe that. Matter of fact, when the ISIS would do and they use social media and they would have their, their YouTube videos of beheading people or on their website or, you know, trying to recruit people. They did it from that city, overlooking the city. They really believed that. Well, now they have been diminished. There are small pockets of it. Iran has a caliphate. They believe that they're going to usher in the 12th Iman or the Islamic uh, Messiah. And Ahmadinejad, you remember him? He used to speak about it quite a bit. He, was, he even spoke about it at the UN when he addressed the, the nations and how the 12th Iman is going to come. They believe that the caliphate is going to come, but it's going to come through weapons of mass destruction. So that's why they want to develop nuclear weapons. They want to put it on a missile so they can destroy the little Satan Israel and destroy the big Satan in the United States. And when Israel and, and Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, says and faces the joint, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Congress and addresses them, says, listen, do not ratify this treaty that you're coming up with. They want to destroy us. And they're deceiving. And they are moving forward in that nuclear program where they want to develop a nuclear weapon. But of course, you know, the United States and the other nations, you know, signed it. And, and President Trump has then nullified it and said, we're pulling out of it. And now they are going ahead to develop nuclear weapons. What was interesting, Iran had a very bad day yesterday. That not only as they had 
um, a funeral for Soleimani, that general. Uh, there was hundreds of thousands of people marching. They were yelling. They were screaming. We want to avenge the death against the United States. So they sent those rockets over. They were under pressure. Uh, they didn't do much damage. No one was hurt. But again, it was very bold for them to do that. Um, there was a stampede to where 70, 80 people were killed in that procession, in that funeral. Thousands were hurt. Also yesterday, there was an earthquake, interesting, in northern Iran where one of those nuclear plants are. And it did damage. Of course, the, there was a plane that crashed near Tehran that was headed to, um, to um, Ukraine. And it's interesting that Iran says we're not, not going to hand over the boxes. And the Ukraine officials are saying that plane was ready to fly. It was in good working order. And there shouldn't have been anything wrong. And if there was something wrong that you guys are saying, hand over those black boxes, they said no. Now they're talking about did Iran shoot it out of the sky with the surface-to-air missiles, afraid that the United States was attacking them. Um, there's all this going on and, and all this that has taken place. Listen, Iran is very weak right now. They are struggling, you know, economically. President Trump has put more sanctions on them even today. Um, and th they have protesters. See, what I don't get, and I'm really trying to hold back a little bit because I don't want to go on a rant and I don't want to get on my soapbox and just be, you know, about all my opinions. I do not understand, you know, those on Hollywoods that are apologizing to the Iranians. Do you know what's going on? They're killing their own people. They had protests, you know, in the last month that they killed over a thousand people, young people that are protesting, wanting freedoms, wanting change. They are persecuting Christians and pray for the Christians in Iran. Do you realize that Christianity is growing in Iran? There's a revival going on and throughout the Middle East. And the largest underground church now is believed to be in Iran. We need to be praying for them. And they are the leading sponsor of terrorism that wants to destroy Israel. And you really feel it when you go to Israel with us and we go to Jerusalem and we go to the Holocaust Museum. And when we go to the Holocaust Museum, you see very clearly that when they begin to round up the Jews, they thought everything was going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. You know, nothing's going to happen to us. We're going to move into the ghettos there is what they called them. And we're going to be there for a short time and everything will be good. And even, even as they were putting them on trains and taking them to the places where they were gassed, they were told that they were going to take a shower. Nothing's going to happen. And you see over six million were killed. So out of the ashes comes the beauty, as Isaiah said. And they become a nation, and now they have an army. And when you have, you know, the mullahs and the ayatollahs of Iran saying, we are going to destroy Israel, they mean it. They're not kidding around. They're not just running their mouths. They mean it. 
And so that's why you see what we got going on in the tension that's taking place there in the Middle East. So Ezekiel 38, what is going to take place? This Iran is weak. Um, they they um, are weak, uh, having problems politically. Um, they have uh, problems economically. The people are not happy with the leadership in Iran. So they know that they are no match for the United States, that they're going to have to align themselves with somebody a lot more powerful, superpower. And that's Russia. Listen, Russia has its own problems. Israel discovered natural gas off the coast of Israel, huge field called a Leviathan field. And now they are going to produce a pipeline from there to Cyprus to Europe. Now, Eastern Europe, they get most of their natural gas from who? From Russia. Russia's not happy about this. They are furious about it. Israel said, we'll give it to you cheaper. And we'll get that pipeline built with the help of American companies to take it into Europe. So Russia has its own problems. And as we see that the, the, the tensions are mounting there, there's going to be a time in Gomer and all the troops of the House of Tamagra from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you as I continue to read in Ezekiel 38. After many days, listen, this is important. Verse 8, you want to mark it. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. So number one, in the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They are brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. Interesting. So here Ezekiel tells us, 2,600 years ago, that in the latter days, when you come back into the land, what's Ezekiel 37? Ezekiel 37 is the vision of dry bones. Ezekiel looks out. What do you see, Ezekiel? I see bones. They come together. They are skeletons. And then the skeletons are there, and they stand up, and then the muscles and the tissues come on it, and then they're corpse. Then God breathes life into them, and it's the birth of a nation that had been dead. In Israel coming alive once again. So Ezekiel 38, that you're going to come back into the land who brought back from the sword and gathered from my people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. The Bible speaks not only of them going into captivity and coming back once, but twice. We'll read about it in Jeremiah, where, of course, he speaks of the Babylonian captivity but also we know that the Bible speaks about that they would go into captivity again among all the nations, even as Ezekiel said, even as Jesus said. Remember in the Olivet Discourse that as he's weeping over Jerusalem, he said, now you're going to be mowed down. They're going to build the mounds around you. You're going to die by the edge of the sword. You're going to be taken captive to all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So even Jesus spoke about that they're going to be into captivity to all the nations. And they went into captivity in 70 AD as Titus and the Roman legions came in and destroyed Jerusalem, took 100,000 to Rome. They were spread out throughout the whole world. And now they have come back into the land. They're dwelling. This battle is going to take place in the latter days. This has not happened. And they will be in the mountains of Israel that had long been desolate. Does that remind you of anything? Put your thinking caps on. 
Remember on the prophecy update, I read to you from where? From the book of Amos, the last couple verses. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel, Amos prophesies. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They also shall make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given to them, says the Lord your God. In other words, Amos saying they're going to come back from the nations. They're going to be back into their original homeland. They're going to rebuild the ancient cities. They're going to plant their vineyards. Uh, and that's what's happening right now. We see it happen right now. And then Ezekiel 38 says, during that time when they're dwelling safely, you will ascend coming like a storm, this this. Uh, this confederation of nations, Russia, Turkey, and Iran leading it. And they're going to come in with a massive invasion like a cloud and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God on that day shall come to pass, verse 10 of Ezekiel 38, that the thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. This is the other thing that's important. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls, nor having gates or bars to take plunder and to take a booty to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations have acquired livestock and goods. You've been in Israel with us. You see that they, you know, the, Israel is booming right now economically. And, and they're the leading nation in in a lot of ways in technology, all of a sudden from the ashes of the Holocaust, 70 years later, they're the eighth most powerful nation in the world. An absolute miracle. I don't know how Christians can look at that and say, well, we're Israel. Israel doesn't play a part in the last days. That's a subject for another time we'll talk about as we continue through the book of Jeremiah. But that's a popular doctrine that is growing in evangelical churches even. And it's unfortunate. So they will be back in the land. The Bible means what it says. They will be prosperous. This confederation of nations is going to look at it. And then all of a sudden they're going to devise an evil plan. We want to take the spoils. We want to come in and take the land. This is interesting. Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish, verse 13. All their young lions will say to you, have you come to take a plunder? Have you gathered your army to take a booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take a plunder? And therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, thus says the Lord God on that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? It's interesting that there's another confederation of nations. Dedan, that's spoken of here in verse 13. Sheba, Dedan, who's that? Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia and the merchants of Tarshish were not exactly sure. Some say it may be Spain, Western Europe. Some say that it's Britain. The young lions of Tarshish could be Britain, could be Canada. Could be the United States. We don't know for sure. But there's going to be these nations that are not going to get involved in the battle, but they're going to protest. Now, why would Saudi Arabia, who is a known enemy of Israel, why would they protest on behalf of Israel? Why would they say, why are you doing this? Why are you coming and take the booty? Because they're being threatened too. 
Does that sound familiar, what's happening today? You see, Saudi Arabia are Sunni Muslims. There's the Sunnis and the Shiites. 80% of, of Muslims are Sunni Muslims. 20% are Shiite. Iran is Shiites, and that's why they've been very daring, and they come with drone attacks against um, their oil facilities. You have, you know, in Yemen, you know, attacks. They're sending missiles over into uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, terrorist attacks. They want to destroy Saudi Arabia, the Sunni Muslims. So Saudi Arabia and Israel, even though they don't have a peace treaty, that they've been more friendly with each other because Saudi Arabia knows that they need Israel and, and they need the protection of Israel. So that what is amazing to me is these alliances are lining up exactly. You read your newspaper and you line it up with the Bible. That's why I'm saying keep a biblical perspective. And Ezekiel 38 goes on. We don't have time. Oh, I should do part three, I guess, of a prophecy update. <laughs> Because God's going to intervene, read it, good bedtime reading, or read it in the morning, actually. So, Because Ezekiel 39 talks about the cleanup of the battle. It's the only place in the whole Bible where there's a, a, a section dedicated to the cleanup of the, of the Bible. Let me read some of it to you. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. That's in Ezekiel 39, verse 6. Listen, that concerns me. It concerns me. Who are those who dwell securely in the coastlands? I don't know. I don't know exactly what it means. But here's what concerns me when I look at end time prophecy, and that's why we need to be praying. I don't see the United States mentioned. And why is that? There's a lot of the Western nations that are mentioned, but the United States being a superpower, why is the United States seemingly, when you go through the book of, of Revelation and you look at the details of the tribulation period, the United States is not mentioned. Why is that? I don't know. But it concerns me because as I see the direction of our nation going, I realize that we need to be praying for our nation. When is Ezekiel 38 and 39 going to happen? That's the one question that I get asked. Where does it fit? The latter days. I think that it fits probably, most logically, either at the very beginning of the tribulation period or right before the tribulation period. It speaks of Ezekiel 39 of weapons of mass destruction being used. That they will take seven months of the house of Israel to bury the dead bodies in order to cleanse the land. It will take seven years. Verse 9, those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the javelins and the spears. And they will make fires with them for seven years. That's an amazing verse to me. And I'll tell you why. 
because I got a good friend that knows something about nuclear engineering. And those involved, when they were cleaning up the rocky nuclear arsenal flats there and destroying the weapons, you know how they did it? They burned them. You know how long it took them? Seven years. There's a description here in Ezekiel 39. They go and they put the flags by the bodies. They can't touch them. That's speaking of weapons of mass destruction and nuclear exchange, chemical, biological weapons. I don't know. But God's going to intervene on behalf of Israel. And then at the end of the chapter, it says that they may know that I am the Lord. It seems that probably at the beginning of the tribulation period, I'm not convinced of that. And I'll tell you why. I'm just a Bible teacher. This is my opinion. Don't make theology out of it. But what is going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period after three and a half years? The Antichrist is going to go into the rebuilt temple, remember? He's going to proclaim himself as God, be worshipped as God. Israel's going to say, we're not going to worship you. You're not our Messiah. And he's going to go after them. And they're going to have to flee to the rock city of Petra. They're not going to have time to be burning weapons. So this could, perhaps, maybe, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, happen before the tribulation period. I personally believe, this is my personal conviction, because of what we went over last week, that the rapture of the church is going to take place before Ezekiel 38. Because we covered that there's some kind of normality going on, that people are buying and selling. If you didn't listen to the teaching, I cover it. As all of a sudden Jesus said, the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah. They, they were marrying and given to marriage. And, and they didn't understand that there was judgment that was going to come upon them. It's like Sodom. And it was Lot and his family when the angels came and said, you need to get out of Sodom. They thought they were joking. And then judgment came. It came unexpectedly. It came suddenly. It came in totality. Thus will be the coming of the Son of Man. You be watching and waiting. Don't be somber. Don't fall asleep. It's an important message to us as a church. So I personally believe, my conviction, is the rapture is going to happen on just a normal day. Jesus said that it's going to happen on, on a time that you least expect and an hour that you do not know. When is it going to happen? We don't know the day or the hour. But if we are seeing state-setting events that are taking place where, our, where Ezekiel 38, the, the scene is being set, I don't know what the current situation, how it's all going to unfold, but I'm reading my Bible and saying the storm clouds are gathering, folks. And we can talk about a lot of other things. It's falling into place just as the Bible said. And you and I are to have a a proper biblical perspective on things. Because people are going to say, what's the handwriting on the wall? And you're going to be able to say, let me tell you. Let me tell you that this world is all coming to something. It's all headed somewhere. But there's a glorious hope. It's the only hope that there is. Because we belong to another kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever. And we need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for our president, whether you like him or not. 
for wisdom and for our leadership. And we need to be praying for the church to wake up. That's my personal conviction. And get back to the word of God and start standing on righteousness and quit letting culture dictate everything in the church. We are to be counterculture. We are not of this world. And if we act like the world, then people have no hope. If we're ashamed of the gospel, then people have no hope. And to stand for righteousness and to speak the truth in love and to keep watching and to stay awake and to be able to give answers to people. And as I said, all of us have opinions. We have different opinions. But one thing that we agree on, Jesus Christ is our hope. Amen? Amen. And we are going to stand on that and continue with that and keep that in the forefront of your mind. Because if you don't, this world's going to drive you crazy, as I've already said, with all the voices that are out there, all the talking heads, you know, just endless analysis. Take the time, read your Bible, be praying, and let's continue in the scriptures. Let's continue in the scriptures. Remember Isaiah, he said that you're to continue in the scripture. He's calling the nation back, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's what you need to be doing. And then Paul comes along and says, you must continue in that because it is profitable for you. That's what I have to give to you is the love of Jesus Christ and the word of Jesus Christ. And every dot and tittle is going to be fulfilled. It's going to come to pass. But I believe that the Lord can come for us at any time. I don't know the day or the hour, but there is a sense of urgency. And as we ended last week, remember that I talked about the last 10 years, the last decade, how things have changed rapidly, haven't they? I mean, in the last five years, I think, how are things going to change in the next 10 years if the Lord tarries? How difficult is going to be for my children to stand firm for the truth of the word of God and for righteousness and for the gospel? And all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution to one degree or another. I pray for revival in this nation because it's the only hope that we have. It is the hope that we have is that there's a great awakening among our leadership and among our people and in the church because the Lord's coming back and these things are unfolding right before our very eyes. Right before our very eyes. We live in very unique times and we are here for such a time as this. So keep coming out and learning the scriptures. Be in fellowship. Keep growing because we need each other and we need the Lord. And we need to remind each other and comfort each other with the words that he is coming back and we have a glorious future. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for just being able to stop tonight. And, and Father, I do want to pray. I want to pray, first of all, for our troops over in Iraq. We pray for their protection. And I know some personally that are there. I know families, even families here in this fellowship, that have loved ones that are there. So we pray for your hand of protection around them and the danger that they're facing. 
we thank you for them and their service. And Lord, I pray also for our nation. I pray for wisdom for our president and our leaders. And Lord, I thank you that things are calm right now, but we know that the slightest event can change things overnight, almost like it did yesterday. And Father, I just pray that we would be a nation that right now we're so divided. There's so much anger and there's so much contention. But Lord, I pray for your working among the hearts of our leaders that we would repent and turn to you. David wrote, some trust in horses and chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord. And may we be a nation that comes back to you and that we would know this, that we need you. I pray for a great awakening among our people in this nation. And I pray it starts in the church, that the church would get back to teaching the word of God and the return of the Lord. That we would have that message of comfort and hope, that there would be an urgency in the messages that we give, that we would stick to the truth of your word and not be given over to myths and fables and itchy ears that is so popular today. But Lord, to the undefiled word of God, which is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that it may equip us for every good work, that we may be a light to those around us, that when maybe their lives personally are falling apart or they see culture that's getting more weird and mixed up or they look at the world falling apart, we are able to give them answers from the truth of your word in a message of hope of Jesus Christ and him crucified that we would speak the truth in love. Lord, use us. Give us wisdom. Help us not to go to sleep in the day in which we're living in. But be awake and sober and vigilant. And may we as a church be humbled before you and continue in the things that we're assured of in your word. Knowing that they make us wise for salvation. And Lord, that we would make it a priority in our homes and in our lives and teaching it to our children, to our grandchildren. Father, I pray for a remarkable move before you come for your church. And Lord, as we see these things beginning to come to pass, that we wouldn't be freaked out and full of fear, but comforted that we would be, Lord, established that we have a wonderful, glorious future, that you're going to come and take us home to be with you, and that we're going to rule and reign with you when you establish your kingdom. Father, I want to pray if there's anyone here tonight that you're not right with God. First of all, you've never made a commitment to the Lord. You're here and you're hearing this message and you're wondering, wow, what does it mean for me? It means that your greatest need is to come to Jesus Christ and be forgiven and give your life to him. Because you can't save yourself and the church can't save you. 
It is faith in him alone who died for your sins and rose again. That's why he came, because of his love for you. And he promises as you come and call out on the name of the Lord and ask for forgiveness and for him to sit upon your heart as Lord and Savior, that he will save you and forgive you and you'll come in the right relationship with the Father. He is the way. There's no other way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the one that brings everlasting life to you. Nothing else and no one else. Will you give your life to him? If you're listening on live stream, on the radio, Will you give your life to him? Today is the day of salvation. You can pray right where you are. Jesus, I come and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me. You're alive. You rose from the grave. You're speaking to my heart. Be the Lord of my life. You're my Savior. And I thank you for the gospel, the good news. I thank you for saving me in this new beginning. And and. Bring them into the family of God to where I have now the spirit of adoption, not of fear that I can cry out, Abba, Father. But I also want to pray if you're here tonight and you've been pulled by the world into the world, that there is compromise and you know that the Lord's been speaking to you, that you've been asleep spiritually that you're being captivated by worldliness, carnality, sin, or the cares of life, that you would say, Lord, I want you to be the priority of my life and my home because you are my hope. And we are seeing things coming, and I hear your word say, pay attention and to wake up because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So what manner of men and women are we to be of holiness and close to you and walking with you and knowing you? Lord, help me to do that and to stay close to you. He's so forgiving. He desires for you to come. The invitation is always to come because of his love for you. Father, I pray for this church that, Lord, we would keep our eyes on you. That we would be stay true to your word. That we would be loving people. Have a heart for the loss and reaching out to others individually. Lord, as a church, I know you that you want to do wonderful, incredible things. So pour out your spirit on us, Lord, this year. Provide for us. Lord, help us to stand strong for you. And Lord, continue in growing in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for us being here. Pray you bless everyone. Looking forward to Sunday. And as you continue to exhort us and edify us and build us up and touch our hearts with the word. Take everyone home safely here tonight. Help us be a light where we go. And Lord, to keep our eyes looking up because our redemption draws near. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?